Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be here. I spent a few days away in, um, I was working. Can't say the same for the gentleman over here, but we had a very good trip away and it's lovely to be back because this is where home is. Last week, some of you will remember that we began our Sunday morning series of reflections on the topic of vision. And this series of reflections forms part of a much larger exercise which is unfolding over the coming weeks and months. The vision exercise is designed to help us discern the next chapter of the story that God is writing here in Camborne Church and in the wider community in which God has planted us. And I don't know if you remember what the readings were last week, but we began, began the series last Sunday by considering how Jesus compared his Father's kingdom to a mustard seed. Seemingly tiny and insignificant, but with the inherent potential to grow into a great tree, even in wilderness conditions. There's a mustard seed, and there's a mustard tree. It's a tree that can offer cool and shade in the midst of a hot and dusty landscape, which is what mustard trees did when Jesus walked on the earth, and still do, as you can see from the photo. And through this illustration in Mark's Gospel, Jesus appears to suggest that the growth and the extension of God's kingdom, in other words, the place where God's values and power reign or hold sway, that can bring sustenance and shelter to all those who long to find such things, and especially those who might feel themselves to be travelling through a spiritual wilderness. The realisation of God's purposes throughout history has often been likened to growing a mighty tree from a tiny seed. A bit like an acorn, which eventually grows to a, a majestic oak. Something is planted which is small and insignificant, even unpromising, but it grows into something strong and healthy, something welcoming and nurturing, something with healing properties and restorative powers, something that exists not simply for its own benefits, but for the blessing of all that is created and for the glory of its creator. And this must surely be the purpose that lies at the heart of any community of God's people, whether it's here in Camborne or in any other church or Christian community across the land and across the world. Individually and together, we are called to be like that mustard tree that you saw. Or perhaps a better metaphor for our time and place is an oak tree. Rooted in a specific time and place, with branches stretching out in all directions to touch and welcome and care for those in homes and families, in our neighbourhoods and workplaces, and even further afield. All who are near and far in every sense of the word. And if you're a biologist or a conservationist, then one of the things that you will know is that an oak tree 
is capable of supporting almost 300 different species. You won't find them all in one tree, but if you go to an oak forest, you have a good chance of finding all of them. I sometimes find it hard to believe that God's eternal purposes depend so heavily upon his adoption of a body of people who will reflect his kingdom values, a holy people, a new family through whom the rest of the world might learn of and come to know God for themselves, and eventually choose to join his family as other adopted sons and daughters. And our journey through the book of Exodus before Easter gave some insights into that original purpose of God. The ragtag bunch of families and tribal groups who escaped from slavery in Egypt were gradually moulded and fashioned by God into an identifiable nation who were intended to bring God's blessing to all nations. And we might even see the people of Israel as the original mission-shaped church. But it was such a risky strategy on God's part. God's purposes were worked out from his people up to a point. But the mission wasn't entirely successful. Human frailties got in the way. The people of God too often lost sight of what was really important, and sometimes lost sight even of God himself. Though he had been the architect of their deliverance and promised to lead them to the promised land. And so instead of being the missional people God had destined them to be, bringing blessing to all peoples and inspiring others to love and worship God, this was a people who became too often inward-looking and exclusive, concerned primarily with their own internal structures and practices, especially where human frailty and sinfulness were concerned, and even a complex system of priestly activity and animal sacrifices couldn't resolve the underlying problem of human sin and its negative impact on relationships with God. So couldn't God have chosen a better way? Maybe one that didn't depend quite so much on human beings? As Paul points out in today's passage from his letter to the church of Ephesus, God's eternal purposes and ways of doing things are not always easily grasped by our limited human minds. There is a mystery to God's will. But as the ages passed, and as history unfolded towards eternity, we see clearly that God did not abandon his original plan, but instead introduced a new agent for his mission. Just as God had sent out into his world Old Testament figures such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Moses, and later the prophets, so when the moment was right, he sent his own son, Jesus. And Jesus' mission was to continue his father's initiative of calling humankind back into a faithful and loving relationship with him. And to discover life and live it 
as God had always intended it should be with him and with one another. But Jesus also came into the world, not just to model life, but to make that a permanent reality for all. He lived and died so that the problem of human sinfulness and alienation, alienation from God could be overcome once and for all, rather than just through the Old Testament's annual cycle of priestly activity and animal sacrifice. So Jesus' human life lived out on earth in physical time and space. His human suffering and death upon a cross and his rising from the dead with resurrection power restored the broken relationship with one another and with God. In some mysterious and amazing way that I confess I do not fully understand. I could write an essay on the theology of atonement. I could tell you about the doctrine of all sorts of things associated with Jesus' death. But I can't say I understand it all. What I do know is that throughout history, God has always been in the business of sending out men and women to live and witness to his love and power at work in their lives. I do know that he brings us together as a people to undertake this mission. And I know that he equips us with all that we need to continue his and Jesus' initiative in this world. We never do this on our own authority, and we cannot do this alone or in our own power. And that's why today we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we look at our Gospel reading from Luke today, we see how eager Jesus was to ensure that his close friends understand this truth for themselves as he gathered with them towards the end of his time on earth. We see Jesus teaching his disciples to understand the central theme of the Jewish scriptures, the Law of Moses, which is the first five books of our Bible, the prophetic writings, such as Isaiah and Ezekiel, and the Psalms. Understand the message of these writings, says Jesus. See how they all point towards me and towards the mission for which my Father sent me. See how the Hebrew scriptures that you know well and have heard in the synagogue point towards why I came and explain what I came to do. And then, says Jesus, cast your minds back to all that you have seen and heard and experienced while I've been with you. My life, my teaching, my miracles, my suffering, my death, and my resurrection. Put it all together and see how it makes sense in the context of the Father's eternal purposes. Because you are my witnesses. And it will be for you to carry forward from now on the work of my Father in his world. Big challenge. 
Because witnesses are only any good if they testify faithfully to what they have seen and heard and experienced for themselves. The early disciples, of course, were first-hand witnesses of historical fact. In one sense, they were fortunate. They had been physically with Jesus as he walked the towns and villages of Galilee and Judea. Preaching, teaching, and healing, they saw all that for themselves. But later on, others came after them to follow Christ. And though they had not been with Jesus in the same way as the first disciples, they too witnessed to what they saw and experienced of Jesus' resurrection, life and power in their own lives. The Apostle Paul did not meet Jesus during his earthly life. But I believe he was struck forcibly by the willing suffering of Jesus' followers like Stephen who he watched stoned to death, and may even have had a hand. He watched Stephen faithful, even unto death, in his witnessing to Christ. And later on, Paul miraculously encountered the risen Christ Jesus for himself on the road to Damascus. And this in turn led God to change Paul's life. Paul received God's forgiveness and he experienced reconciliation with those whom he had persecuted for so long and so vigorously. And the whole of the rest of Paul's life was to be a life of witness to the power of God's love in his life. And part of Paul's way of witnessing was to write letters like the one he sent to the church at Ephesus in which he overflows with praise and gratitude to God for all that he has received. Look again at that passage. Look at his passion and enthusiasm. Hear it, for it is born of his own experience. And as I read that passage multiple times when preparing these reflections, I found myself asking, well, would I ever feel so deeply moved by my own experience of God's love and forgiveness to write like Paul? Or do I tend to take for granted the place that I have in God's family as his daughter and the blessings that I enjoy as a result? Would you write with Paul's passion and enthusiasm? It's a tough challenge. Paul's experience of God's love is not my experience, it's not your experience, but each of us is called to witness to what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have experienced of God's love in our own lives. And we are called to do this both individually and as a body, Christ's body, God's holy people, his church. And despite the short life of Camborne Church, there is a great deal that we can witness to of God's faithfulness historically. We can speak of a mustard seed that was planted by four denominations in their partnership in the Gospel. We can tell of people who were sent by God to a new village at just the right time 
to tend and to nurture the early shoots as that mustard seed broke through the ground and began its life. We can speak of the provision of different buildings as the mustard tree grew and needed more space to continue healthy growth. Any tree that is strong and healthy normally has a pleasing shape and well-balanced proportions. Trees that are constantly battered by the wind from a single direction or which are hindered in their growth due to neglect or lack of light or space are unlikely to thrive and risk never fulfilling their potential. The same can be true of Christian communities. So in this last part, just before I finish, I'd like us to stay with the picture of the mustard tree as an image of our life as God's people here in this place. And I'd like us just to reflect briefly on the factors that contribute to a healthy shape and well-balanced proportions of that shared life together as a church. Over the past nine months, we've reflected a great deal on five key characteristics which will ideally be manifest in the life of any community of Christians. We know them as the five marks of mission. Tell, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Teach, to teach, baptize and nurture new believers. Tend to respond to human need by loving service. Transform, to transform unjust structures of society. And treasure, to safeguard the integrity of creation and renew the earth. I'm going to show you a few slides which illustrate each of these five marks of mission. And I'm going to ask if we can use these images to encourage us to witness faithfully to ways we know God has already been at work with his love and resurrection power. Some of the images tell of the story so far. Some of the images speak of the story that is still unfolding. And some of the images may be the story yet to come. Can we use them to discern where God may be challenging us to be more focused and intentional in future, so that our witness can be even more effective? And I'm going to give you time to look at these and to reflect in your own hearts and minds on the pictures and the words that you see while Nikki plays for us. So what does it mean to be missional church? Giving up as the title. Well, it means being rooted in time and place with the shape and proportions that are pleasing to God and fit for his purposes. I'm going to close with a prayer. Almighty God, you are the master gardener we pray that you will continue to tend and nurture us in wisdom and love, so that we may grow strong and healthy. 
Prune us to the shape that pleases you, and so make us fit for your purposes in this time and place. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>